Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's week two of our month-long Patreon pledge drive. If you already support this podcast, thank you. If you don't, we hope to change your mind with an inviting array of bonus episodes, Patreon previews, and special releases like the one you're about to hear. It's Halloween season, and in my house, that means one thing, Universal Monster Movies. And my hands-down favorite is Dracula, due in no small part to the iconic performance of Bella Lugosi. Today, we celebrate Mr. Lugosi with a discussion of his one and only appearance on Suspense, The Doctor Prescribed Death. But wait, I thought this was our Patreon pledge drive. What does Bela Lugosi have to do with becoming a patron of our podcast? Well, it just so happens that Bela Lugosi is the subject of our next Patreon happy hour. Once a month, the three of us meet on Zoom with Patreons near and far to discuss theme selections of old-time radio programs and or other mysterious old media. We share insights, laughs, and thanks to the hard work of our delightful patron Amy, cocktail recipes carefully selected to match our theme of the month. If you'd like to join us this month, or whatever month it is when you're listening to this, please visit patreon.com slash themorals and become a Patreon today. And now... Back to the podcast. Suspense aired on CBS from 1942 to 1962, racking up 947 episodes in total, most of which still exist today. Suspense specialized in edge-of-your-seat crime stories with an unexpected twist at the end. The program's smart scripts and high production values attracted A-list Hollywood actors, including the star of today's play, Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi was a Hungarian-born actor best known for his sinister portrayal of Count Dracula, both on stage and film. As a youth, he studied at the Budapest Academy of Theatrical Arts before joining the National Theater of Budapest in 1913. After serving in the Austro-Hungarian Armed Forces during World War II, Lugosi settled in Germany where he gained experience as a film actor. In 1921, Lugosi immigrated to the United States to pursue a career in Hollywood. As it turned out, Roles for Lugosi were few and far between. His English was poor to non-existent and, as a result, struggled with memorization. In 1922, he made his Broadway debut in the play The Red Poppy, but his incomplete knowledge of the language forced him to memorize his lines phonetically, delivering them with little to no understanding of their meaning. As time passed, though, Lugosi's English improved, and in 1927, he had his first big break— the title role in the Broadway production of Bram Stoker's novel, Dracula. The play ran for three years, and its success led Universal Pictures to produce a film adaptation with Lugosi reprising the role of Dracula. His chilling performance captivated audiences and critics alike, turning Lugosi into a star overnight. 
More horror films followed, including Murders in the Rue Morgue, White Zombie, Island of Lost Souls, The Black Cat, The Raven, and Son of Frankenstein. It didn't take long for Lugosi to become frustrated with the two-dimensional roles being offered to him. He longed to stretch his acting abilities, but the studios refused to see him as anything but a leering, sadistic villain. As the popularity of the horror genre faded, so did Lugosi's opportunities. By the 1950s, financial hardship and a growing addiction to morphine led Lugosi to partner with notorious B-movie director Ed Wood for a series of disastrous films culminating in Plan 9 from Outer Space, widely regarded as one of the worst films ever made. The Doctor Prescribed Death is a classic example of Lugosi being cast to type. It was written by J. Donald Wilson, who began his radio career as a voice actor before stepping behind the scenes to write and produce. Although he worked on several notable radio programs, including Dark Venture and The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, Wilson is best remembered as the creator of... Actually, I'm not going to tell you. I want to see if my co-host can guess the famous program based solely on the tone and structure of today's play. Great. A test. Thanks, Professor. You're welcome. And now let's sharpen our pencils and remember to keep our eyes on our own papers as we listen to Bela Lugosi in The Doctor Prescribed Death from Suspense, first broadcast February 2nd, 1943. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Our star tonight is Bela Lugosi, playing the part Professor Antonio Basile, psychologist. The story is by J. Donald Wilson, who calls it The Doctor Prescribed Death. If you have been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. This series of tales is calculated to intrigue you, stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation, and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so it is with the doctor prescribed death and Bela Lugosi's performance. We again hope to keep you in suspense. Professor Antonio Basile has a theory but let him tell you about it. As a psychologist, I have worked out a theory. A theory I know to be sound. I contend that a person who has decided to kill himself can very easily be turned from this desire to the desire of taking the life of another. I can prove my theory. And if necessary, that is exactly what I will do. Yes, Professor Antonio Basile has a theory, but only a theory. 
and he's worried about what his publisher will say. So he visits the editor, whose name is Hellman. Hellman finishes the manuscript and tosses it on the desk. Professor Basile leans forward eagerly and... Well, Hellman, what do you think? Professor Basile, it's purely conjecture, simply a theory, and I wouldn't advise publishing it. I worked on that theory for a long time. I'm positive of it. I know it'll work. Suppose it will. What good is it? What good have you accomplished if you can prove it'll work? <laughs> Are you laughing at me, Herman? It's so silly. An ordinary human being has suffered reverses. is sick of it all. He wants to leave it all behind. And you say he can be changed to want to kill someone else. I do. Self-destruction and the destruction of other life are closely related in the mind. The dividing line is very thin. It's ridiculous. And you won't publish it? Granger would fire me. Why? He told me that in his opinion you should be in the asylum. Mr. Granger said that. Does he think I'm insane? <laughs> How do I know? Hellman, Mr. Granger didn't say that. It's you who thinks I'm crazy. You've never liked me. For some reason, you are trying to tear me down. Well, we'll see, Mr. Hellman. We'll see. Now, wait a minute. I'll show you whether my works are illogical. I'll show you whether I'm insane. Oh, calm down. <laughs> I'm going to make you eat those words. I know you don't like me, but I'm going to prove that my theory is sound. Good night. Wait a minute. Basil, wait. You wait, Hellman. You wait. Yes, wait, Hellman. Wait. Professor Basile, seething with resentment, rushes from the office and strides angrily down the street. Insane, huh? I'll prove my theory. I'll find a subject. I'll find someone who wants to take his own life. And so Basile goes home, late for dinner. He finds a note from his wife, Myra, saying she's decided to attend the opera and will be home around 11.30. Then Professor Basile gets an inspiration. He goes to the bridge over the deep canyon, the bridge called Suicide. And strangely enough, he hasn't long to wait. As he stands against the railing in the fog... A figure appears a few feet beyond, stops, prepares to leap. Don't do it! Wait a minute! Listen. Huh? That's very silly. Let go of me! Oh, no. I couldn't do that. I need you. I don't need you. Don't you know this is uh, against the law? You're not an officer. You can't stop me. It's 500 feet to those tracks below. Hard steel rails. And don't believe what they all tell you about not being conscious of what happened. You'd know. People don't die instantly. Let loose. They lie in agony for minutes and sometimes for an hour. It's a horrible death, I know. How do you know? I'm a doctor. Doctor? Yes. I can tell you much simpler ways, much less painful ways and quicker. You're a nice young girl, an intelligent girl. You wouldn't want it to happen this way. Maybe after I talk to you a while, you wouldn't want to do this at all. No. No. But come on. Let's talk it over. Maybe a few minutes' talk will change the entire picture for you. What could you do to help me? If you'll come, I'll tell you. There's a motive back of your wanting to do this, and I'd like to know what it is. Nothing doing. Haven't you any relatives? 
Any loved ones you'd like to do something for? Yes. Then if you talk with me for a while, maybe I can find my way clear to help those people. You sound crazy to me. Oh, no. All right, I'll... Where? My apartment. Let's go. Well, here we are. Come in, please. Well, what do you want to know? Now, sit down first. Are you hungry? No, I'm not that broke. It isn't poverty. I knew that. I could tell by your clothes. Now, first, why did you come here? Why? Why, because you talked me into it. <laughs> See, you're not afraid of me? Afraid? In my frame of mind. What could I lose? Suppose I told you that I really brought you here to kill you. Kill me? <laughs> you know, you're a very pretty girl, don't you? Yeah. That doesn't always mean so much. The right man, it might. That's what I thought. But I found out it didn't mean a thing. Ah. Then it was because of a man. I knew it. Really? How did you guess? I'm a student of psychology. I'm Professor Antonio Basile. I see. And you want to know what makes me tick? You want to know the reason behind my action tonight? That's right. I would like to know what happened to make you want to kill yourself. Suicide is a mental aberration. Yeah. I'd like to know what preceded the decision to destroy yourself. And what you thought about until the moment I stopped you on the bridge. What good will that do me? You said you weren't broke, but you also said you had some loved ones you'd like to do something for. I meant I wasn't broke to the point of being hungry. I have a few dollars. But you suggested help for someone in larger terms. Yes, I did. Who is the loved one? My mother. You are her only means of support? Yes. And you intend to kill yourself? Yes. That's being selfish, isn't it? Selfish? Yes. You are concentrating solely on self. You think so? But what else? The first law of human nature is self-preservation, right? I suppose so. The second law is the preservation of family. Yeah. So you decide to deny the first law and destroy yourself. And as a consequence, deny the second and leave your mother alone and in need. You indicate a form of insanity. What would be normal? To destroy the other person. The one who has done you wrong. Have you hurt him? No. Then the one who has done wrong should be the one to suffer. You have no legal recourse? Legal recourse? No, I haven't, I'm sorry to say. And you would kill yourself to let your poor mother suffer because of the wrong of another. Why shouldn't he be the one to suffer? I suppose you're right. Why shouldn't he? What happened after all? Why not tell me about it? Were you married? No. You never seemed to find time to get around to marriage. What's your name? Gladys. Gladys Tanner. How long had you known him? Almost four years. And you always thought he meant to marry you? Yes. Until three weeks ago. Yes? On July 1st, he had to leave town for a week on business. Said he was going to Kansas City. When he came back, he seemed to be too busy to see me. 
Then a week ago, I found a snapshot along with several others in his desk in his home. May I see it? picture of him and another woman. But the picture was not taken in Kansas City. It wasn't? No. It was taken on the beach at Atlantic City. And it's dated by the finisher, July 3rd. Since he returned, he's refused to see me. Yesterday, he finally said he didn't care to see me anymore. But I'd better forget him. But it isn't so easy as that, is it? No. I figured I'd done something. And blame myself. Do you... Uh, do you know this blonde woman in this uh, snapshot? No. And it must be a woman uh, he has met uh, recently. You've known him for, for four years. I don't think you are to blame. He's the one in the wrong. And he should be made to suffer. How? You were going to kill yourself. Why should you? Kill him instead. He double-crossed you. He deserves it. Now, let me go a little deeper into the situation. Whenever a person has reached the conclusion to take his life... sure you have made up your mind, Miss Tanner? Positive. Now, if you're careful, you won't be caught. No. But whether you are or not, I'm giving you this check for a thousand dollars made out to cash to be sent to your mother only after the man is dead. Write his name on this pad. There you are. I will know what has happened by the newspapers. And I will be told payment... Until I learn that you have gone through with it. It'll happen tonight. Very well. You are sure? You are determined? Absolutely. Nothing could stop me. Very good. But just what would happen if I did get caught? You won't get caught if you follow my instructions. I know. Now, here is a small revolver. It'll fit easily in your purse. That's all you need. Be sure to wipe your fingerprints off and leave the gun near the body. Yeah. Well, goodbye, Dr. Basile. Goodbye, Gladys, and good luck. Professor Basile watches Gladys as she crosses the street to the dimly lighted bus stop. He rushes to his car and drives away. A few minutes later, he comes to a stop at Hellman's house. Hellman, the editor who ridiculed his theory. Just a minute. Oh. Hello, Vasil. Good evening, Hellman. Thought I'd drop out to have a little chat with you. Well, why this time of night? It's kind of late, isn't it? Eleven. Didn't think that was late for you. Oh? Uh, come in. Thanks. <coughs> Sit down. What's on your mind? I want to talk to you about my theory you ridiculed so definitely. My theory about suicide. Oh. Well, I just don't believe it, that's all. And I said I'd prove it, didn't I? Yes, but what are you getting at? It's going to be proved. 
My theory is going to be proved tonight. Well, that's fine. Go right ahead and prove it. I don't like you, Hellman. I never liked you. And I know you don't like me. I can't help that, Basile. What are you staring at? Is there someone here with you? Certainly not. Why? That's a woman's purse on the Davenport. Hmm? Oh, my secretary dropped by earlier this evening with the manuscript. She must have forgotten it. She's not here now? Of course not. Then I'll continue. I found a subject. A girl who was ready to commit suicide because a man jilted her. In a few hours, I was successful in changing her thoughts from suicide to homicide. And she is going to kill the man tonight. What do you think of that? There may be a dozen murders tonight. Ah. But you know which one I mean. You know about this murder. What do you mean? Because I'm going to tell you who the victim is going to be. You know who the intended victim is? Why don't you stop it? <laughs> but then I wouldn't have proved my theory. If you put this girl up to it, you're as guilty as she is. <laughs> you're insane, Basile. Hopelessly insane. You think so, Emma? The whole idea is mad. Too utterly ridiculous for words. <laughs> no sane man would ever think of such a useless, senseless idea. And for heaven's sake, stop laughing. I'm thinking about the victim... Then he learned. Who is the victim? Martin Harriman. Me? Yes, you. <laughs> I don't believe you. You will this time. Who is this girl? I know no girl who'd want to kill me. This one does. Now. Oh, nonsense. However, I wouldn't put a past you to hire someone to do something like this. No, no. This girl is no fake. This girl is serious. Deadly serious. You probably hypnotized some poor woman, figuring she'd never remember what happened. Oh, Herman, you underestimate me. Maybe I do underestimate your evil mind. But believe Put me... up your hands, Herman. Get away from the desk. I'll just take care of that gun, Herman. That's better. Well, since when did you start carrying a gun, Basile? Ah, a gun? Don't be silly. This isn't a gun in my pocket. It's just my pipe. See? <laughs> well, what do you hear, Herman? Uh, nothing. Oh, yes, you do. I heard it, too. The sound on the porch. I leave now. The back way. I put your gun in the kitchen. And I'll be very careful to remove all my fingerprints. You insane fool. Oh, fancy you. You, Hellman, you are going to help prove my theory. <laughs> Good night, Hellman. I'll have him locked up before he gets across town. Good evening, Mr. Hellman. Huh? How did you get in here? Through the patio door. What do you want? I wanted to talk to you. Very strangely. <laughs> You're just imagining things. And what are you doing here? I wanted to tell you something. Yeah? What? When you first indicated to me that you were through with me, I was terribly hurt. I thought all along that we were to be married. I couldn't understand. I tried and tried to think of something I'd done to cause our breakup. Then I happened to find this snapshot in your desk. Snapshot? Take a look at it. Kansas City. No, Atlantic City, New Jersey. You and a blonde. And the date is stamped on the back. A business trip. Ha! Well, 
What about it? I just wanted you to know that you weren't so slick. I wanted you to know that I knew about the blonde. That I knew you'd lied. Now that you've told me, what good does it do you? A lot of good. First, I thought you came here for money. How could you think such a thing? Well, I think you'd better go now. (laughs) I'm going. Goodbye, Morton. And good luck in your new venture. What venture? This one. Gladys. Gladys! And wish me luck in mine. Gladys stands staring a moment at the body of Hellman, then wipes off the gun, drops it to the floor, takes the professor's check from her purse, steps to Hellman's desk and writes a note. Then she puts the note in an envelope with the check, addresses it, stamps it, turns out the lights, and steps out into the dark street. At the corner, she drops the envelope in the mailbox and disappears. Professor Basile heard the shots. His theory worked. Hellman will torment him no more. The perfect crime. So he can go home to his wife now and go to sleep. Myra. Myra. Huh? What? Oh, oh, Antonio. What are you doing asleep on the Davenport? Do you know what time it is? It must be after midnight. I've been waiting for you. How was opera? Oh, fair. Nothing to brag about. Who sang the lead? Belchiotti. He wasn't very good. Belchiotti? Mm Mm-hmm. He's a poor Othello. Othello? I thought they were uh, doing Ida tonight. No, they switched because someone was ill. They just as soon have stayed home. Have a night, Capmira? No, thanks. I'm tired. I think I'll go to bed. I belong presently. Good night. Then the night passes and the morning comes. The professor rises cheerfully and prepares for breakfast. Then... I get it, Myra. Yes? Are you Professor Basile? Yes. May we come in? We'd like to talk with you. Of course. What is it you want? Is your wife in? Yes. We'd like to see her, too. You are? Oh, I'm Lieutenant Davis. Right. Detective Well... What do you want? Will you call your wife? Fire. And suddenly. Myra. But what's this all about? What is it, Antonio? These men are from detective headquarters. They want to talk to us. Really? What about? May I ask where you were last night, Mrs. Basile? Certainly. I went to the opera. What time did you get home? Oh, I imagine it was around 11 or shortly after. Mm-hmm. Were you at home last evening, Professor? Well, I was at the club and got home about 12.30. By the way, uh, do you know Morton Hellman? Certainly. What about him? He's been murdered. Murdered? Good Lord. When? Around midnight last night. I found him this morning. How terrible. Why, I've known him for years. He was editor-in-chief of the company publishing my writings. I'm a psychologist, you know. Yes, I know. But, uh... What do you want to know from us? We weren't connected socially with Hellman. Uh, just in business. Did uh, you know him, Mrs. Basile? Yes, yes, I knew him very slightly. 
Did either of you know of anyone who'd have reason to kill him? Uh, certainly not. Everyone thought highly of him. Did you ever hear of a girl named Gladys Tanner? Gladys Tanner? No. Did you know of a Gladys Tanner, Mrs. Basile? No. Is this your purse, Mrs. Basile? Why, of course it is. That's the one I gave you last Christmas, Myra. Well, yes, I must have lost it downtown. Where did you find it, Lieutenant? At Hellman's home. Hellman's home? Well, how in the world... Good heavens, but... We how... found it on the sofa. Well, I can't imagine how it could get there. And this is the revolver that killed Hellman, found on the floor beside him. What? No fingerprints on it, however. But... May but... I see it? By Myra. This is your gun. I bought this for you two years ago when I went on the lecture tour. Yes, I think it's mine, but... It just doesn't make sense. Did you have the gun in your purse when you lost it last time? Well, I... Perhaps I did. I'm so confused now. I can't remember. I think... I think it is, it is terrible. Oh, I know. Oh, dear, I feel ill. Did you ever fire this gun? Yes, once last year up in the mountains. I wanted to see how it worked. Ever reloaded? No, I'd never reloaded it. I, I just didn't think about it. Maybe I did put it in my purse. Why, I don't know. And, and whoever found the purse may have used the gun to... This gun misfired on the first two shots. The other three killed Hellman. This is the most amazing piece of coincidence I ever heard of. Why would my wife want to do such a thing? Why should she get to Hellman? She hardly knew him. Are you sure about that, Professor? Of course. Well, sorry to say that I don't believe her. What? This is ridiculous. This is going to be a shock to you, Professor, but here's a snapshot we found on Hellman's desk. Taken in Atlantic City last July. Good heavens. Why, this is you, my... You and Hellman. You were at your mother's in Florida in July. <laughs> Myra, look at me. What does this mean? I can't. I can't. And I can't believe such a thing. May I have the purse, the gun, and the photo? Thank you. I'm sorry, but I'll have to take her down to headquarters. But I didn't kill him. I didn't. I wouldn't... I loved him. <laughs> Myra. You better pull yourself together. You'll have to go back. They'll want photos and fingerprints. Yes. You better get it ready, Myra. <laughs> Certainly looks bad for her. Afraid it does. Looks like an open and shut case. Oh, uh, will you come along too, Professor? Certainly. And so it all worked out beautifully. Not quite as the professor had planned. But then he changed his plan from the moment when Gladys Tanner showed him the snapshot taken in Atlantic City. And he realized that the girl's fiancé was Hellman and that the blonde was Myra, his wife. He had no intention of allowing Gladys Tanner to kill Hellman until he saw that snapshot. And when he recognized Myra's purse in Hellman's home... He decided to let Gladys kill him and the blame be placed on Myra. The perfect crime. But several hours later, after fingerprints and many questions, the professor is just about to be dismissed when Sergeant Rankin steps into the room and speaks quietly to Lieutenant Davis. What is it, Rankin? I stayed at the seal's place, as you said. Well? A few minutes ago, a special delivery letter came for the professor. This will knock your eye off. Read it. Huh? Well, this fits perfectly with the writing we were trying to make out on Helm's desk letter. Professor, here's a letter sent special delivery to you a few minutes ago, postmarked last night. Read it. Dear Professor Basile, 
Your theory worked a certain degree. You convinced me I should kill him. Uh, I should kill him. Uh, but when that gun you gave me uh, misfired twice, I, I almost quit. Go ahead, Professor. Read on. Then as I looked at him on the floor, the feeling of self-destruction came back. I'm going ahead with my plan. Here's your check. I won't need it. Besides, I lied to you. I lost my mother long ago. Better luck next time. That is Tanner. And a half hour ago, they found her body beneath Suicide Bridge. Well, Professor, your perfect crime has failed. Failed? Yes, failed. Wonderful but... setup on paper, but your theory backfired and you're up for murder. But I didn't kill him. But you planned it and you're as guilty as Gladys. She's paid her penalty, now it's your turn. No, no. I won't, I won't be hanged. Never! Drink and drink it. And now the doctor lies on the sidewalk, 17 stories below. His entire theory worked in reverse. So closes the doctor prescribed death starring Bela Lugosi. Tonight's story of suspense. It came to you from Columbia Square in Hollywood. This is the man in black who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next Tuesday when we present the noted actor, Mr. Sidney Greenstreet, in The Hangman Won't Wait. the producer, Ted Bliss, the director, Lad Gluskin, the musical director, Lucian Mahwick, the composer, and J. Donald Wilson, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was the doctor prescribed death from suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that is part of our Pledge Drive Month spectacular uh, pledge-a-thon. I don't know what we're calling it. But that <laughs> is... Why like, Eric is not in charge of marketing. That our is correct. <laughs> it, we are... We're uh, selling so many cars. <laughs> yes, we are. Are we? I wish. Um, I do appreciate, Tim... Uh, that you take the time to correctly pronounce his name, Bela, Bela, however it is. It catches in my head every time of like, I want to say Bella. Yep. 
but it's Bela. It's but it's Bela. Um, so Bela Lugosi. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard not to go Bela. Right. So I, 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 oh, for me, it's, it's <laughs> Bela Lugosi, undead, undead, undead. Yeah. <laughs> so it's Beulah. Uh, Bueller. <laughs> <laughs> here's my, here's my first question. Lugosi. You guys know how much I love Lugosi. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you know how much I believe him to be an underrated great actor and have a soft spot for the man, his career, his life. I think part of it stems from I feel bad that he had to be Dracula his whole life and wanted to escape that. He was a trained actor. But I've also seen him do things where I go, that's really good. Not the least of which is uh, the range when you see him in Son of Frankenstein Mm -hmm, and other mm -hmm. things where you go, okay, there's a range here to this man. So this is the question about this particular episode before I throw my opinion out. Is it me just loving Bella or was that a great performance? I'm dying to find out. I thought that was fantastic by him. I thought it was good. It's a bold performance that matches the tone of the script, I would say. The script does not call for any subtlety. And he attacks it. Right. And I think that's the only way to make this script work is to just keep it going Mm -hmm. and give it everything. Because if you start to treat it with too much realism or uh, with try to find depth that isn't there. Right doesn't have as much spark. The script can't stand scrutiny. I have an example of why I say that, but I won't get into it until you guys guess, based on the script, what radio series this writer created. Based on this script. I only am making you guys guess because I got five minutes into it and went, this is an episode of blank, and then actually found out, oh, he created blank, and that makes sense to me. Uh, Dragnet. No. 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 Uh, which is... I mean, the, my guesses are like, well, no, because I know who created that series. Which is Circle. Um, there is no Which is Circle, no, but we should make that... Man in the Cave. <laughs> <laughs> Toad uh, in the Hole. I'm just coming up with I'm just going to tell shows. you what it is. Please do. He created The Whistler. Oh. oh I see so that now. Think about that yes. heavy use of narration. I was, in my head, it was uh, Mysterious Traveler. Yeah, which is but, very similar. But mm-hmm. it's not Mysterious Traveler, because he didn't create that, but... The no, it, it has that same just... Like the narrator comes staggering through every once in a while to, yeah. <laughs> to right. clean things up a little bit and <laughs> clarify points, but and it, it relies on a preposterous number of coincidences and is just bigger than life. And what is interesting about it is that it was used a year later on The Whistler. Yeah. Oh. And you're going to be shocked who played Lugosi's role. Shatner. Karloff. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Darn it. Why did I set that up as a question? Because now my answer is going to be so disappointing. <laughs> uh, Can we keep guessing? No, it was William Conrad. Oh. And so That's that good. is my That's compliment fun. to Lugosi's performance is because the performance that Conrad gives is more in keeping of what you would expect from a suspense. Wait, we've known this fact from another podcast this came up. That Conrad did an episode of something that Lugosi did first. I, it's all right there. But this came up earlier. Trust me. Is it let's deja go back vu? And, it could okay. be deja vu. We'll go vu. back through 270 yeah. episodes. No, let's listen. Uh, <laughs> this came up once. I'm telling you. But Perhaps it did and I forgot. But it, oh, I'm going to guess. The Whistler. <laughs> Am I right? Because it has Uncanny. a very... Uncanny. It had some Whistler qualities to yeah. it, I thought. <sighs> My 
original point you about Legosi's performance. You asked me to do this podcast. I want to be clear. <laughs> this podcast was not my idea. You said, hey, would you want to come and do a podcast? I said, sure. So. Will there be quizzes? All the time. <laughs> I'm going to plow through because I'm going to yes, answer your it, question, yeah. Eric, about Legosi's performance. I now, just kojacked you. Do it, baby. I listened to the Whistler episode, mm-hmm. and it is more ridiculous, actually, when Conrad is playing this role in an understated, you know, quasi-suspense level, or at least what we come to expect out of suspense, right. a level of naturalism. Mm-hmm. And he tries to sell it, and he can't. He gives a great performance, but you can't shoulder this preposterous script uh, with a low-key performance. So that is what I say that is great about Lugosi's performance here, is his lack of subtlety. And I'm giving him credit that right? it was a choice. I am so slanted that I am blinded by Lugosi. There's no way I should be ever criticizing. I love everything he does so much. And again, I wonder how much of it is I just felt sorry for the guy. But he is a really good actor. I really... He is. But I think this is a case of, they like, called him in and said, all right, we want you to do your Lugosi thing. Yeah. Got it. I can do that. I can give you know I can give you the performance you want and give it no thought it'll be great. That accent, are you surprised how well we were able to understand him audio only? I was afraid that with that accent we would lose words, you know, and no, he was crystal clear. He yeah. enunciates it's yeah. very clear it's very and clear. I guess my assumption there might be a backstory that a listener knows who can fill us in. I did not find it anywhere, but I I assume he didn't do much radio because his voice is just so distinctive. It yeah. is really hard to imagine him mm-hmm. as anything other than mm-hmm. Lugosi when he plays mm-hmm. a part. It might also be that it takes some some work, more work than the average actor to be that crystal clear. Mm-hmm. And so maybe the same thing, all he got offered were these type of roles in the radio and he just said, oh, screw it. <laughs> <laughs> screw it, I take your money. That's my big takeaway is that Lugosi helps rather than hinders this script. Your turn for a quiz. Uh oh. Oh. It's a little improv y thing I'm going to give you, okay? In about a minute or less, tell me the plot of this. I want to see oh, if you can see, give me a synopsis of this thing because right. it is ludicrous. All right. So there is a psychologist who has a theory that the suicidal impulse can be turned into a murderous one. Not a great theory. It's more of a threat than a theory, but we'll get back to that (laughs) later. He tells this to his editor, who laughs in his face. He vows to show him he's wrong, so he goes to a bridge named Suicide Bridge, whether that was its given name or whether it's just on the corner of Overdose and Jump Street. Leonard Suicide. (laughs) (laughs) Overdose and Jump Street is Johnny Depp's first TV show. Uh, And he stumbles across this young woman about to kill herself. He persuades her to go back to his home with her, which only a suicidal woman would do. And so he talks her into not killing herself, but into killing the person who made her feel suicidal. She shows him a picture of that person. And we don't know as the listener that that person is the editor who laughed at him, pictured with the doctor's wife. And so instantly the doctor decides he's going to use this moment to kill off his mm-hmm. wife and the right. editor. And so he sends her with a gun, presumably the gun. It is the gun he gave his wife when he was on a lecture tour, like right. you do. 
Right. Honey, I'll be gone for a while, but have if it gun. comforts you, have a gun. <laughs> and so she kills the editor. Then, ha- oh no, the important thing is he gives her a check for a thousand dollars for her mom for a thousand dollars. Yes, a personal right. check. Mm-hmm. This highly scientific method of money plus photos <laughs> of your cheating a significant other. Every case will fix a potential yep. suicide. If she feels guilty, sends the check in the mail back to him and kills herself. Right. The gun f- does not work. I remember. It, yeah, it goes click, 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 bang, bang, bang. Which, why? So they knew which gun it because was. Because we know then for sure that it is the wife's gun. Yeah. Because she had fired a couple rounds out of it. I don't know for sure. That didn't make a lot of sense. No. You know what else doesn't make a lot of sense? First of all, that you as a scientist, your big thing is you're going to prove to the world that you can convince a suicidal person <laughs> to murder somebody. I don't know why anybody would disagree with that theory. <laughs> why is that so hard to imagine? And then guy laughs at him. That's not true. Two, he goes to find, which I love, Joshua, as you just said, I need someone to commit suicide. Where should I go? Oh, that place where everybody commits suicide. I'll find someone there. <laughs> I'm, thank God there's a place in town. Yeah, I have should... to insert because the actual narrative jump was I need to go find someone on the brink of suicide. My wife is at the opera. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's hilarious, too, because uh, the guy who plays the man in black makes, I think, the reasonable choice to just keep narrating in the same tone He's been narrating to describe these ominous events. So he goes, (laughs) and he went home and he found a note from his wife who went to the opera. This very ominous description of the most mundane thing. How bad is this opera? Yeah. He poured himself a glass of milk. There was a weird little moment where she explained they didn't do the opera that was planned because they did. Othello instead of Ida. It was something like that. And I thought that was going to be a clue. I thought it It was something to do with with proving that she had been where she said she had been instead of using it as an alibi. So I thought, oh, that's going to come in that she couldn't have been the murderer, even though he's framing Mm -hmm. her because she really went to the opera and she has these authenticating details about what specifically happened that evening there. And it felt like maybe it was like left in from another draft. Right. Of the script. (laughs) Because it never came back. Yeah. But also, I can't remember now. Now, why would I bring it up since I can't remember? But there was some reason that the opera did change that made me laugh. It was ridiculous. (laughs) It was ridiculous. had COVID, I think. Right. (laughs) Someone got sick or Uh, something. Yeah. It's like, well, all right, let's do the backup opera. Right. (laughs) Right. Everyone's ready to go. Scrap it. (laughs) Tell everybody out there we're changing it. We got this whole other opera ready to go. Billy, you're off the bench. (laughs) But my biggest point is giving her money undermines his whole theory. Because basically he's just hired a killer. His theory is I can convince anybody to murder anybody for money. It has nothing to do with suicide. But that's that's his dilemma is he is both I want to kill these people. And still prove my scientific point, and he's trying to do both. Like, so I'll publish my paper explaining how I killed my wife. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> Very successful at, sort of in academia there. His scientific point that he's trying to make is stupid. Yeah, that was my biggest reaction was at, when they got to the very – we're explaining the premise. I believe someone with a suicidal impulse – with just a little bit of science magic can be turned into a homicidal impulse. Yep. 
I agree. It was such a, Moving on. Such a bizarre premise for a yes. story that I was like, I kind of don't want to hear the story. Well, I was hoping that <laughs> it was just, such a bizarre premise for a story that it would lead me down a path of, I, I was skeptical at the beginning, but at the end I went, no, that was just stupid. It reminded me of the, uh, the Willis Cooper um, Lights Out script we just listened to not, not that long ago. Uh, uh, death robbery or in what way in listening to it we got to like they are really digging into the nuts and bolts of the mm-hmm. science of this like we're spending a lot of time with just the mechanics of the plot mm-hmm. that i was curious like what are the mechanics of this plot which it turns out is i'm going to write you a check for a thousand dollars and show you some irritating photographs irritating is not the right word but uh, <laughs> galling. Yes. Uh, Inciting. I, I think I had a slightly different response from you guys because I, as soon as I heard his theory, I was like, this is going to be ridiculous. <laughs> this is going to be fun and that I should just take it right. as over the top nonsense. <laughs> I still was judging it <laughs> throughout. Right. Uh, but I turned off my the part of my brain that's trying to figure out the twists. So I yeah. ended up being surprised. I did not immediately think that that other woman in the photo was his wife. So a couple things surprised me about it. But it might have been because the top half of it lowered my expectations so much that I expected very little. And so when it gave me a few twists, I was like, ah, that's fun and fluffy and whistlery. Yeah. When it was random lady at the bridge turns out to be deeply involved in my relationships. Uh, yes. At that point you just simply can't come to the script going like, well, what about these details? There's some holes in here. Yeah. You can't treat it as, as a natural, uh, something from the real world at all. It is now into that level of, uh, inner sanctum coincidence yeah. right yep uh the bridge also features the giant crickets from many episodes <laughs> yes. <of> inner sanctum. <laughs> yes i imagine there is just like crickets were just leaping over suicide bridge so one after the other <laughs> the moment where the crickets just like stop for a minute like they're on break yes <laughs> there was a weird foley thing going they're on just back there like smoking cigarettes and oh we're still going <laughs> yeah the in and out of the crickets was weird what year was this again 1943. So it's very early suspense. They don't even have a sponsor. So I don't think they've really hit upon their formula other than their celebrity formula. So they've got that going for them. And they know they are looking for that twist ending, which is this one. ends up having but it's not much of a twist obviously when she writes a note and puts it in the mail to him you know that that's going to be the thing that gets him well you know as soon as he writes a freaking check that's going (laughs) to be the thing that bites him in the butt here's what is absolutely gorgeous about this episode and suspense made a mistake as the years went on in their introduction the music the pace the tone of the opening, it's slower, mm-hmm. it's scarier, it's more suspenseful, if you mm-hmm. will allow me. If you listen to suspense as it goes on, that picks up and it's a little brighter, a little, it's a mm-hmm. little more produced, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not as gritty. And my point being is you overproduced your opening as you got, as you went on. That, that was perfect. I totally see where you're coming from, but my guess is that they pulled back on that once they got a sponsor because if you kept that tone and you kept the man in black that sinister you would be veering into inner sanctum lipton tea lady territory once you know hap comes on from auto light right like you would have a really stark contrast there that maybe they were trying to soften 
That's my only guess. Or did they need that 20 seconds for the commercial? Yeah. Because it is literally 20 to 40 seconds longer than the normal suspense openings. Or, you know, as the quality of the scripts increased, maybe they thought that they didn't want to sound too much like shows like the Whistler or Inner mm-hmm. Sanctum, which have pulpier material than suspense at its greatest has. And so they wanted to yeah. sound more adult and sophisticated. Any other thoughts? They used the word Davenport. Which, I love that word. Which I have not heard since my grandmother was alive. Yeah. I, I thought that was awesome. They use it twice. But then I think the detective at one point calls it a sofa. And then we've got sofa Davenport couch wars going on (laughs) and davenport was originally a producer of couches which is where that name came from where it just became synonymous with we have listeners in iowa right now going yeah we hear it all day and we know the whole story was the davenport originally the foldout once exclusively because that's what my grandparents had well then there was futon iowa (laughs) I don't know. I, you know, you made the joke, but I'm very serious about this nostalgia that it opened up in me. And it's just... Yeah? It's really hurtful. <laughs> was it hurtful? <laughs> Futons are very painful. Oh, they're terrible. Futons should be outlawed. That is not a couch. That is not a thing you can sit on. With the angle of that... On your back, it what? Who? It's a great bit of marketing. Like we have the most uncomfortable furniture right? in the world. That, Buy it. It's terrible. It'll look but great the in your plus apartment. Is, it's not as expensive as comfortable furniture. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Last thoughts, or we're sending it to a vote. Uh, I just love the ridiculous irony of the doctor committing suicide at the end mm-hmm. and then it's the man in black comes in to just point that out in case you <laughs> did not get the irony <laughs> yep i have to confess this was an episode that i would listen i would doze off i'd come back i could doze off for 10 15 seconds come back and go what has happened to this story <laughs> i gotta go back okay i get i okay so here's just where it jumped, and I didn't miss anything. It just the plot jumped. I'm listening. I doze off. I come back. What has happened? <laughs> My last thing I'm going to say is that I love it in a script where the character voices my thoughts about the script right. within the script. And at one point, Lugosi's character goes, this is the most amazing piece of coincidence I have ever heard. All right. Let's vote on this thing. I love Bella Lugosi. Tim? <laughs> I would not call this a classic. Nope. <laughs> Certainly of historical interest for having uh, Bella on sure. suspense. If you accept the script for what it is, it holds up. I don't think you get that many stories these days that are just this unabashedly, this plot is going to be held together by fun. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And at some point it's like, quick, we need more fun. (laughs) This thing is falling apart. Let's have somebody be really jerky to suicide. Like, like, for a doctor who's dealing with people with mental illness, he's really crass. Yeah, I know. He's like, I've invented gaslighting. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, it is not a classic. It, I don't think it stands the test of time, but uh, its status as Lugosi's one and only suspense and its connection to the Whistler clearly makes it of historical interest. But I definitely found it entertaining. <laughs> I really did. Uh, not always for the reasons that the producers or writers intended, but I think that still counts. That interaction with the girl from the bridge, every part of that where her decisions are based on, well, I was going to kill myself, so I might as well go. Do you want to do this? Well, I was going to kill myself, so I might as well do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that is a weirdly... Free plot yeah. tool. Not only that, so you're like his theory is absolutely right. <laughs> like if you just delay a potential suicide, that <laughs> you would be willing to do anything. Speaking of Tim, tell him stuff. Hey, <laughs> send my mom a thousand dollars. No, that's not wow. what I'm saying. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. We have a bunch of other episodes there you can listen to. You can vote in polls to let us know what you think. You can leave comments. You can send us messages. Um, you can also link to our social media pages. Click on our Threadless store link. Go get some swag if you need, like, a Morals t-shirt or tote bag. Uh, or you can click on our Patreon link and join us as a patron. Why did she make up that story about her mother? I'm sorry. I'm still thinking about this. <laughs> yeah, right? It was literally just so that he would write a check to get caught with. Yep. It, <laughs> Not only that, why Why did he shame her before he did that? You're going to kill yourself and there are people relying on you. Shame on you. You are selfish. Yeah, <laughs> You're there, selfish. There are two rules. Don't kill yourself and don't make your mother sad or whatever. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Why did he go out of his way to make her feel bad? Just... Get her to kill someone. Prove your point. I'm sorry. Patreon. Patreon.com slash the morals. Yes, you can go there and support this wonderful podcast. Uh, yes, it is Patreon pledge month, and uh, we are going to continue to release bonus material that had been exclusive to just patrons, but we're going to give you a little taste of what you are missing. So hopefully if you enjoy that, you will go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. I'm not going to say any more because the entire month is about plucking our Patreon. If you'd like to see us performing live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Company does audio theater monthly. You can come see us performing classic recreations of classic radio dramas, and a lot of our own original work by going to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com. There you'll see what we're performing this month and where we're performing. You buy a ticket, come see us if you're in the Twin Cities area. We are currently, this fall of 2022, performing at the Bryant Lake Bowl Theater, which is a great night out, great food, and a great theater. So come see us. If you can't, become a Patreon, and you get to see the film version of our live performances for free. That's part of being a Patreon. So please do that. Um, all right. What is coming up next? <laughs> next? Next. Next, we have something a little bit different. Uh, as part of our Patreon pledge month, we are going to be releasing some audio recordings of our live performances of some of our original material. So you can actually see if uh, we're worth it. <laughs> spending any money on uh we're really excited about it but at the moment of this recording we have not decided which episodes to release yet because we have so many amazing ones so uh until then Look out! no no i won't i won't be hanged never